The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Get a sneak preview of the upcoming ACB National Convention. And it's not the watermelon crawl, so just what is it? Find out on ACB Reports for June 2009. The program begins with Lynn Cooper from The Mirrors Project bringing us an answer to a question from a faithful listener. This is a reply to one of our listeners in Colorado. Our listener says, in essence, color palettes come and go. Can I wear colors in my makeup? I usually wear neutrals, and people are starting to think that I am not wearing makeup at all. Wearing makeup is important part of our appearance when we are going out into the public. If we're at home, no. You know, if you're not going to be seen, you're not going out and meeting people, no worries. But it truly is an essential and an expected part of our personal appearance. The irony, Mike, is that we really want to wear makeup where we don't look like we are a circus clown and where people don't notice our makeup first. We want it to be a very seamless part of our appearance, remembering that our observer's eyes are going to be coming toward our face. So we want it to be natural looking, but we do not want to go without makeup. And that um, is often hard to hear for everyone. It is like going out in the morning to work without hose or gentlemen putting your shoes on without socks. Can you do it? Yes, sure. Can you survive the work day without socks, without hose, without a belt, maybe without a watch? Fine. But it will be noticed. This is the same with makeup. By its omission, it will be noticed. As a result, especially if one is visually impaired on whatever level, always put more on, but it's very difficult and kind of fussy to take it off. And, and also, if we're not easily able to discern how much is on, we don't want to make the mistake of it being too dark. Makeup colors really do change with seasons and styles. For instance, when you see 1940s-inspired clothing coming down the runway, which we had some of this season in women's wear, you're going to go to 40s-era makeup, the bright red lips, you know, the Betty Grable bright red lips, and the startling alabaster light skin and all of the hair and eye makeup that goes with that. For the most part, for day, I suggest just real basic, real general, soft colors. Magazines exaggerate looks. It's what we always say in the beginning of our segments. We suggest our listeners do not take exactly what is in the pages of these magazines. That is drama. That is done on the runways and in the magazines. As I said, it's a show. It's not to be duplicated exactly. Soft colors, powder or creams, um, the most luminescent and translucent, meaning less actual pigment, the better. Less of a mistake factor is real important. It is easier to add color, whether you're doing blush on your cheeks, whether you're doing lipstick, or whether you're doing your eyeshadow. You don't need to have a lot of different colors, but you can just go with taupes or browns. 
and the double colors where there's a lighter shade of each color in the makeup case is a good idea. Very important tip is considering skin, hair, and eye color. We talk about that with clothing, but it's real important because we were designed this way. We came in with a particular warm or cool shade in our skin, our hair, and our eye color. And something that I'd really like our listeners to pick up, it pertains to clothing colors, but very, very important. If they remember nothing else about makeup, it's to remember, preferably at a makeup counter, you want to find out if your skin tone is warm or cool, and that essentially means warm tones have more yellow, more orange, more red in them. A cool tone will be more pink, almost a bluish undertones. So that is really the key to find out. And unfortunately, unless you have a really good human mirror, somebody that knows makeup, somebody that can do a little test of a foundation or makeup color on your cheek, it's a good idea to start at a makeup counter. Go at an off-peak time. You're not going to go in the morning rush hour, you're not going to go at lunchtime, and you're not going to want to go after work because you'll be there with 9 million others, and the makeup consultants are not going to have the time to do your face. It's a really great baseline way to do it. And then as the makeup person is doing it, mention what your life is like. This is where I work. This is how I work. This is my lifestyle. Consider your allergies. There's a number of hypoallergenic uh, makeup lines out there right now. And then have the salesperson write down the colors used, not the name of the product so much, but the colors used and how they use them. Because you can take that for future reference when you go to your corner drugstore and get the makeup. Because when you buy it at a drugstore, as you well know, you will have it shrink-wrapped and you're not going to be able to uh, try it on. And then, Mike, what we've said about clothing colors, if you want to branch out a little bit, try a few different looks, listen, listen, listen to the feedback. I hear this. It's so fun to hear people say, oh, you know, I tried that color of an outfit that you suggested. And I got such great feedback. We have to listen because it may be real subtle. They may be saying to us, boy, you look healthy today, or boy, you look good, or wow, you know, what are you doing different? So that's a real good way, especially as we know if one is visually impaired, looking in the mirror is not going to be um, always an option. And as I said, if we're not going to wear makeup, it's got to be natural, but if it is not worn, it will appear as though our look is incomplete. At the very least, I suggest a foundation, whether it be a powder or a cream, a light, and that goes over the entire face. Remember our neck. We don't want to look like we're wearing a mask. And then a blush. And a blush is what we put on our cheeks. We remember we go back into our hairline and gently just suck in your cheeks. We want to touch our face. Wash your hands, listeners. Touch your face. See where your bones are. And basically, blush refers to what happens naturally when we're happy, when we're excited, when we're giddy. You know, at a real healthy state, we tend to blush, and that is get a little color in our cheeks. So essentially, yes, we absolutely can wear makeup. Colors do change. I say go through your fashion magazines, whether they be on ACB reports or in paper form with friends, and refer to it as fun and theater and drama and entertainment. We should be concerned essentially with a little color on our cheeks and lipstick. Carry it in your bag. If you have small lips, 
A lighter color is good because light colors expand visually the size of the thing they are covering. And if we have larger lips and uh, we want to make them uh, appear smaller, we use a darker color. It's a little bit trickier if we can't see. So that, once again, if we use a lighter color on our lips, we can reduce that error factor. The eyes, eyeshadow, we can even um, consider putting a little eyeshadow in lieu of eyeliner underneath our eyes. These are all little tricks of the trade that we can uh, gain from a makeup professional, but at least we know that makeup is in different colors. Yes, colors are always going to change. I suggest we stay with the basics. But if our listeners are interested, please communicate with us and we'll put together a more um, complete makeup segment. But that is uh, my response to our female listener in Colorado, and I thank you. We thank you. Remind us of your email address for the feedback one more time. Yes, my email address where we would love to have listeners write in and and give me your thoughts, suggestions, ideas, is mirrors one. USA, M-I-R-R-O-R-S, numeral one, USA, at yahoo.com. And my website, which I invite everybody to visit, is www.lyncooper.us. Lynn Cooper will return in August with another presentation. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. The 48th Annual Convention of the American Council of the Blind will be held from July 3rd through 11th in Orlando, Florida. ACB Convention Committee Chairman Carla Rushville says to come early and stay late because there's lots to see and do in Orlando. The Kennedy Space Center tour leaves the hotel at 7 a.m. on the 3rd, so anyone going on that tour needs to come in on Thursday, July 2. And then there also is a dinner show tour that evening. It's to a show called Al Capone's Dinner Theater. As the name implies, it's sort of a throwback in time to the 1930s, late 1920s. Lots of music, great food. That's also on the 3rd. Yes. Talk about some of the other tour highlights of the Orlando area. Of course, there's the Big Disney theme park. Is that going to be a tour? Yes, there will be a tour to the Magic Kingdom. So we all need to have our mouse ears ready to go. You know, Mickey Mouse and Cinderella and uh, everybody is waiting there. And that tour will leave the hotel at 1 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, and it won't get back until 11 o'clock that night. Usually we don't do weekday evening tours, but the 4th of July would have been a horrible day to go to Disney. So in order to give people a chance to do more activities within the time they had, we had to schedule it during the week. So it's Tuesday at 1 with a return at 11 o'clock. The tour will stay until the park closes. You'll get to experience the parade in the evening, which is really a, a, there's no way to describe the events at Disney. The music is wonderful. The animations are great. When you're on a ride that's supposed to take you to a jungle, you can almost believe that you're in the jungle, and you're just amazed when you come back to civilization. There's an interesting twist to the Disney tour. This is where it's very important that people check off the information on the pre-registration form. If they're going to Disney and they indicate that they need a Braille program, 
then we're going to let the Disney disability folks know, and they will try to have the headsets there for them, but the devices that they need to be able to use that new technology in the attractions that have it. Now, not all the attractions have it, but we definitely are interested in making sure that people have access to that technology if they need it. That's the Disney tour on Tuesday. What else? Oh, there's so much. Sometimes you go to places and you think, well, I could have gone anywhere and done this tour. But I think everything we're doing says Florida all over it. On the 11th, we're going to the Daytona 500 experience. That's a tour of the racetrack. Um, They'll be leaving the hotel at 9 in the morning, getting back at 5 in the afternoon. That evening, they're going to a Sleuth's Mystery Theater. Now, there might be other type theaters like that around the country, but the audience is actually part of the show and helps to solve the crime. And the neat thing about those dinner shows in Florida, both Al Capone's and Sleuth's, is that the ticket includes unlimited wine, beer, and soft drinks. That just uh, doubled your occupancy right there. That's right. And so after you've had your unlimited beer, wine, and soft drinks at Al Capone's on Friday night, you can go to the Holy Land Experience on Saturday. And repent. They'll straighten you up real good. (laughs) That's a unique theme park that is based on the Bible, and it's almost like a living Bible museum. When you walk through the gate, you immediately know that you're stepping back in time because the gate is a replica of the Damascus Gate at Jerusalem. They have a replica of the Great Temple and the plaza. They have shows and they have music there. There's um, the Wilderness Tabernacle. They have a replica of the fishing boats that were used in the time of Christ on the Sea of Galilee. They have replicas of the uh, Qumran caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They have a scriptorium that you can walk through and it tells the history of how the Bible came to be. And they have an outdoor Jerusalem market that's on the 4th. Then there's a couple of real Florida-type tours. Gatorland is on Sunday. Bet you can't imagine why you'd go to Gatorland in Florida. (laughs) If you don't mind walking, there's a lot of walking in that. I had the chance to take that tour last fall when the convention committee was in town, and that's a really neat tour, but it does involve a lot of walking. In a lot of the tours, there's quite a bit of walking. Then also uh, the Boggy Creek airboat ride is Thursday, and that's another nature-based type thing. They talk about the Everglades, and you ride in this boat that is pushed by a propeller on the back, so you're skimming above the waters of the Everglades. Monday, we're going to Daytona to see the largest talking book library in the country with all their millions of Braille books and recorded books, and also the Florida Rehabilitation Center, and that is, of course, the Florida Blind Services Tour. There also will be Wonderworks on Monday. Did you go to Wonderworks when you were there? I did not, but some of the others did, and they were very impressed with it. Oh, they had a blast. I guess I would call it a real blind-friendly science museum where you can experience an earthquake and a hurricane. You can get in a fighter jet, get in a spacesuit, try out just all kinds of interactive types of things. Wednesday, they're going to Davidson's of Dundee, which is a citrus grower. Now, citrus isn't in season at that time of year, but our candy tours are always really popular, and they'll be making citrus candy of different types that day. And, of of course, after they learn about the process, people are invited to purchase candy if they want. And to make that a real sweet tooth tour, 
we're going to be stopping at a restaurant, which is actually almost in the corner of Davidson's Orange Grove. And that restaurant specializes in homemade cobblers and other desserts and homemade ice cream. And they actually have uh, an old fountain. So that should be really fun. So let's talk about some of the other things that go on. Some people come just for the tours, but Mm -hmm. others uh, divide their time between tours and other things in the convention itself. There's, of course, all the general sessions with lots and lots of uh, speakers and informative programs in the morning. A full day of activities right there in the hotel. You can come to the convention and you can just have an absolute phenomenal time if you are spending a huge amount of money doing everything and buying all the most expensive tickets. Or you can come to the convention and you can have a phenomenal time on a shoestring and hardly ever stick your nose out the hotel except to maybe go down the street to Denny's or one of the other restaurants. There's lots of restaurants to suit all different budgets. And you can do convention on a real budget. There are many, many free meetings and programs. There are also many low-cost programs. A lot of the seminars are only $5 a piece, and that's real reasonable for a two- or three-hour really high-quality program. There are seminars on rehabilitation. Social Security is coming and doing some free workshops. The Employment Committee is doing their usual good job at an employment seminar on Wednesday, and they're going to be having a job fair on Thursday, which is particularly timely. The Environmental Access Committee will be doing a seminar on Sunday afternoon about updates on the quiet cars and many other pedestrian safety issues. Legislative seminar is on Tuesday evening this year, so you can't do Disney and legislation at the same time. The information access seminar, Information 411, they've settled on, it's called themselves for the last many years. That's always very popular, too. Yes, and that is Saturday afternoon the 4th at 2 o'clock. GW Micro is running three sessions this year on their different products on Saturday the 4th. APH is running a session on Tuesday evening on their new products. Some of the interesting special interest group things that are going to be happening, Lua, Library Users of America, on Monday evening is holding a workshop on downloading books and actually how to do it for people who want to know where to find those books and how to make use of them and also other files as well. On Saturday evening, the National Education and Legal Defense Service, NELS, holds their CD yard sale. Oh, yes. And if you've got, you know, vinyl or you've got CDs or DVDs that you want to trade or sell, you are more than encouraged to bring them with you and participate in the CD yard sale. NELS makes a little money by selling tickets to it. So if you want to come in and buy or sell or whatever, you just buy a a ticket, and then you can bring your records or CDs or whatever, and whatever you don't like, somebody else is bound to want. And Lua, Library Users, is doing the same kind of thing on Tuesday afternoon. I assume it's audio books? Or Braille books. Bring Braille and trade Braille or audio books or a large print book. I think they do more trade than they do selling of books, but people do a little bit of both. Talk about the exhibit hall quickly. Well, the exhibit hall, as usual, will have all the technology 
the companies kind of point toward the convention as one of the places to announce their new products. So if they're going to come out with a new version of something or they're coming out with a new product, they are turning flips to get that out and ready to show at the convention. So that's where you see the latest and greatest You can actually see anything in the exhibit hall from a stylus up to a $10,000 piece of equipment. And I guess that's probably still true, although people don't buy as many styluses anymore as they used (laughs) to. But it's nice to know you can. It's there. The simple stuff is there, and the latest what is there also. That's right. And you know another aspect of convention, Mike, that we don't... Uh, really probably push as much as we should is the family aspect of the convention. When my children were children, that is how we took them on vacation. But at that time, we had to arrange for what they would do because there was nothing planned for the kids. ACB has as much planned for the under-18s as we do for the adults. The Youth Activity Center is for any child five or six years old on up. There will be activities every day, trips every day. They'll be going to WonderWorks. They'll have their own trip. They'll be going to Disney, probably on the same day with um, ACB. And they will be doing many other things. The last couple of years, the Youth Activity Center, as part of their crafts projects during the week, have actually made the centerpieces for the ACB banquet. That's right, and those have really drawn quite a few positive comments from those who (laughs) attend the banquet on Friday night. But the Yak makes the centerpieces, and then they go off and have fun. They go have pizza or something, you know. Do you know what they did last year? Yeah, they They, they had a night on the town last year, and we all wanted to go. They did. So what's happening? I don't know uh, what they have planned this year for Friday night. I was going to ask what's... But you can bet it'll be fun. And it's important that ACB have things like that for the children because uh, without that kind of thing, a lot of the presence of the organization couldn't be there. Yes, and the nice thing is the Youth Activity Center is for all children, whether they are blind or sighted or all points in between. Now, we cannot accept medically fragile children. We're not able to do that. The Youth Activity Center has all types of kids. They make friends from all over the country. And it's a great way for the parents to know that their kids are doing things that are fun for them, that they're not just running loose around the hotel, and that they're looked after, and that they're also eating because once they drop them off there in the morning, breakfast is provided, snacks are provided, and lunch is provided. Where in Orlando will we be going, and uh, how do we reserve the rooms and so forth? It's at the Rosen Center, C-E-N-T-R-E, the Rosen Center Hotel. Be careful that you get the Rosen Center because there's also the Rosen Plaza, and we don't want to come fishing you out from the wrong hotel. The address is 9840 International Drive. The phone number is 407-996-9840. The hotel rooms are $83 a night plus tax. And that is single-double. If you go triple-quad, then it's $10 per night for each additional person. The rooms are nice, large rooms. The hotel meeting space is uh, what they refer to in the business as stacked space. That means that on the first floor, there is a meeting area with 
registration areas with the grand ballroom and with the junior ballroom where the exhibits will be and a part of the grand ballroom that is not used for the general session will be used for large evening activities such as the GDUI reception and the ACB auction and the banquet. All of that will be on the first floor in basically one general area. You go upstairs from that area and you find all of the breakout rooms. So there will not be nearly as much walking as we have had in the last several conventions. Four or five. At we least. have to go back to 2002 to get to a convention that had as little walking as we have at this convention. Right. This is a very easy hotel to navigate. Yes, it is. Well, let's wrap up then by talking about registration and pre-registering. Registration will remain open until June 26th. If you're registering on paper, the forms must be back in Minnesota by June 26th. If the form is not received by June 26th, it will not be processed, and the pre-registration prices will not apply. You can register online up until midnight Eastern Time on June 26th. Online, if you do not want to use your credit card, you can indicate that you're going to pay by check or that you are going to call in your credit card. You must realize, however, if that is what you're going to do, then that online registration needs to be completed before June 26th because your check could not reach Minnesota if you mailed it at that point in time. Registrations are not final until the money is received. That was ACB Convention Chairman Carla Rushevel. Walking in the sunshine, sing a little sunshine song. Put a smile upon your face as if there's nothing wrong. Many convention attendees will take to the streets of Orlando as they participate in the Watermelon Walk Run. Dan Dillon of Nashville, Tennessee is the coordinator for this event. The walk will occur on July 4th. We'll have a bus there to carry people to the walk site. That'll leave approximately 6.15 in the morning. The walk will be held at Mead Garden Park, and that's about 17 miles from the convention hotel. And we're participating as partners with another group. Tell us about that. We are partnering with the Track Shack Foundation. The Track Shack itself is a running uh, store in Orlando, and they have a Track Shack Foundation where they raise money for local charities. But they have what they call their care program where other charities can participate. And that is what ACB is doing. And Track Shack has uh, taken care of the initial costs for promoting this thing. So it's been a golden opportunity for ACB to do their first ever uh, walkathon. And how will this benefit ACB? The main goal is to raise money. Another thing is it's going to uh, promote public awareness of ACB. The media will be involved, and we hope to have, well, as many people as we possibly can actually participating in the walk. Track Shack has agreed to give us different color T-shirts, so we will stand out. We will also have uh, volunteers to walk or run with uh, our members who are blind and visually impaired. And also, of course, we're promoting physical fitness. How many people have said they will participate at this point? We have about 34 
And then we have about six virtual walkers, and you can be a virtual walker, and you can walk back home in your own community, or you don't even have to walk. You just uh, sign up as a virtual walker, and you can uh, ask for a T-shirt, or if you decide not to get a T-shirt and a souvenir from Track Shack, then your $25 entry fee goes directly to ACB, the total amount. Now, the sign-up deadline to get the T-shirt may occur before some people hear this program, but for those who hear it in time, how do we go about that? You can go to acb.org and go to Convention 2009, and then you uh, go down to the Walk link, and you can either uh, use a credit card to sign up, or you can uh, pay by check. Or, if you're not computer savvy, you can contact Dina Wilson in our national office. The economy the way it is, uh, ACB along with uh, many other charitable organizations can certainly uh, use the money. That was Dan Dillon of Nashville, the coordinator for ACB's participation in the Watermelon Walk Run in Orlando. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on Site 4 of the Braille Forum Cassette Edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.